Today's show is sponsored by CloudZero. For software-driven companies focused on growing margins, CloudZero is the only cloud cost intelligence platform that puts engineering in control by connecting technical decisions to business results. By analyzing cloud services like AWS and Snowflake, CloudZero provides real-time cost insights that help you maximize margins. Engineering teams can answer critical questions like, who are my most expensive customers? How much does this specific feature cost our business? What's the cost impact of re-architecting this application? With cost anomaly alerts via Slack, product-specific data views, and granular engineering context that makes it easy to investigate any cost, CloudZero is your complete cloud cost intelligence platform, connecting the dots between high-level trends and individual line items. Join companies like Drift, Rabbit7, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com cloudcast to get started today. That's cloudzero.com slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody is doing well and uh, continuing to uh, stay safe and healthy out there as we get to the last part of October 2021. Uh, we're getting into the last couple of months of the year, the time when um, holidays become part of everybody's uh, schedule, about part of everybody's get together with friends and family. And uh, you know, for those of you that are trying to finish up a Q4 project, whatever it might be, keep in mind, uh, you know, a lot of times people are taking some time off, and not everything uh, moves as quickly in these last couple months of the year. So let's jump right into cloud news of the week. Got a couple of interesting, sort of bouncing all over the place uh, topics and articles to cover. First is if you are in the job market, or you are looking for jobs, or you're posting jobs. Uh, interesting. Uh, sort of chart that was put out there. The job postings on Hacker News over the last, uh, well, let's say six months or so, uh, have really shifted. Uh, shifted from 30% uh, remote-friendly to 80% uh, showing up as, uh, you know, obviously technical category uh, things on Hacker News. But uh, big shift, uh, big, I guess, sort of maybe lighthouse sort of uh, data point in terms of acceptance that this thing that we've been doing in terms of remote work and remote Telework and uh, remote friendly being acceptable for companies is, is going to continue. Uh, how long that'll continue, we'll, we'll sort of see how long it lasts. But uh, for now, it seems like at least in the short term and maybe sort of short to uh, medium term, uh, we're going to see uh, remote work be an acceptable thing and something that we're all going to have to continue to get used to, whether it's for yourself or for your, you know, working with colleagues or your partners and so forth. So interesting data point uh, in terms of the growth of uh, remote work friendly jobs being posted out there. The second one, for those of you that follow uh, VMware, um, you know, we've talked for a while that, uh, you know, structurally Dell, who owns VMware, even though VMware continues to remain a public company, or at least there's a, you know, public tracking company out there. Um, Dell is going through corporate restructuring. Uh, they're trying to, you know, kind of remake their uh, their financial situation, their their product situation, and so forth. Um, they will officially be spinning out VMware on November first. This is something that's been talked about for most of this year. Um, you know what would happen? VMware uh, named a new CEO uh, a few months ago, and seems to be sort of uh, restructuring. You know their corporate strategy, their their C level. Uh, Kit Colbert taking over as CTO, and and Raghu Raghavan taking over as CEO. Um, you know, and really kind of you know trying to lay out what their next generation looks like. But Dell has announced that uh, November first will be the official spin out. Um, there'll probably be a lot going on to follow if you are a shareholder or if you're trying to figure out the corporate financing that's left of Dell and VMware after it, because there's a lot of sort of things shifting in terms of ownership, uh, payments, cash payments between the two companies and so forth. But it'll be interesting to see what officially shakes out on November 1st. 
Um, in terms of uh, AWS, there's always something in the news around AWS. It was interesting. Um, Adam Solipsky, the new CEO, is starting to make the rounds uh, ahead of AWS reInvent. Uh, made a made an appearance in the Jim Cramer show. Uh, wasn't necessarily there to, to hype the stock, but was really sort of talking about what's going on with the company. And one of the interesting things he highlighted was, you know, due to the success of things like their Graviton two chipsets, their ARM work that they've been doing. Uh, the custom silicon that they've been talking about for for many years now, um, they expect ex- uh, to accelerate that. And so we talked about they plan to uh, design more of their own semiconductors. Uh, we think this is probably something that, uh, you know, we'll see more and more from the large cloud providers. I mean, they have been uh, the largest five or six, um, you know, customers in the past of Intel. Intel always had sort of a super seven uh, beyond their their other customers and so forth. But uh, we're seeing more and more of that ship to uh, shift to custom development, and uh, AWS uh, continues to see that as helping them both control their own destiny, but also be able to offer a more robust uh, price point, PowerPoint, uh, cooling, um, you know, performance, and so forth. So that'll be very interesting to watch. And then finally, uh, we are just a little bit ahead of the normal um, announcement week, uh, or what we'd like to call Jordan Novet season. Um, but uh, yeah, all the big cloud providers, we should have the announcements for them next week. Um, of some of the other cloud providers, IBM did announce their numbers. Uh, Red Hat, part of IBM, was up, I believe, 17 or 18% uh, within the cloud and software division. Uh, but the cloud and software division, uh, I think, came in right around flat for the quarter. So uh, IBM uh, continuing to be right around flat, slightly uh, up in, ter- in terms of growth, but not uh, not the growth levels that we're seeing from the big three uh, that we'll expect to have all the on. Um, all the earnings numbers uh, for you next week. So with that, we're going to wrap up. Today's going to be a fun show. We've talked about this before. I'll talk about it in the intro in the second half, but uh, we're going to dive into some some real customer use cases, some real practitioners, what they're doing. And this is one of the things that uh, a lot of you have asked us to really dive into. We don't get a chance to do it a lot. So when we do get a chance to dive into it, it's really a lot of fun for us to, to kind of you know get into the nitty gritty of you know how do we make all these technology work from a people, from a technology, from a process perspective. So we'll get to that right after the break. Today's show is sponsored by Datadog. With infrastructure monitoring, distributed tracing, and logs, Datadog provides end-to-end visibility into the health and performance of modern applications. Datadog's distributed tracing and APM generates detailed flame graphs for real requests, enabling you to visualize how requests propagate through your distributed infrastructure. See which services or calls are generating errors or contributing to overall latency, and dive deeper into your production code with an always-on code profiler to pinpoint the root cause. Start monitoring your applications with a free trial, and Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. Visit datadog.com slash APM dash cloudcast. That's datadog.com slash APM dash cloudcast. And we're back. And folks, you know, one of the things that we get a lot on this show, a lot of requests from the audience for is, you know, we we, we get a lot of opportunity to speak with people. tech entrepreneurs, startup founders, um, you know, experts, uh, you know, in building technology. Oftentimes we, we get a chance to work with vendors and others. And, and you know that if you listen to the show for a long time, but one of the biggest requests we get uh, week in and week out from, uh, from the audience, from our listeners is, you know, Hey, can you go speak to some people that are practitioners of this? You know, people that are, that are using the technology that have to live with it, that have to, you know, actually build this and, and live with it and work with it and not just cloud providers or vendors, but you know, the actual companies. And also, you know, if you could do that in a way that isn't just greenfield, isn't just sort of new applications, but, you know, introduce this to some people, some experts that are doing this in complicated industries and in industries that have regulation and in industries that, you know, get audited and all those sort of things. And, 
you know, those are tougher things for us to do because oftentimes um, those environments may not necessarily want to share. Uh, at least in the past, they didn't necessarily always want to share. But, um, you know, as we're seeing more and more companies uh, begin to work in this space where they've got to be able to, uh, you know, have great talent, but also, you know, they want to share what they're doing because what they're doing is, is really interesting. Um, and today we get a chance to do that. And so very, very excited today, Ken Meyer, who is EVP and CIO of Consumer Technology at Truist Bank, who uh, Truist Bank, one of the largest banks in the country. So Ken, welcome to the show. Hey, Brian, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We're going to, I want to dive into it. Um, living here in the Southeast part of the United States, we know who Truist Bank is um, because we're in North Carolina and and your roots are, are here in the South. And, and one of the banks that you had was here in, in North Carolina. But before we dive into that, give us a little bit about your background. Um, you've been uh, doing some pretty amazing things for the last at least decade plus, but give us a little bit about your background and then um, kind of what you're working on at Truist and uh, kind of what brought us together today. Sure. So I spent the first part of my career, a little almost 10 years uh, in the consulting space, got to work with a lot of great companies, uh, both domestically and internationally, uh, which was really good for me personally to really learn different cultures and how companies operated. Uh, I moved over to SunTrust Bank uh, prior to the merger and joined about eight years ago. I started on the business side, actually, in our wholesale bank, running operations and some strategic work with credit, uh, and then was asked to move back into more of a uh, technology-driven area at the bank. Uh, Did a number of senior leadership roles, uh, including kind of a, a shared service CTO role and a consumer CTO role. And then our merger was announced, uh, and we were really looking to change that structure up. And I moved into our originally our CIO position for our digital and innovation space. Uh, when it was first announced, I added some of our consumer core banking areas, uh, like deposits and debit card and our all of our channels, uh, like our branches and ATMs and contact centers to go with the digital space back about February of, of this year. And then in September, added uh, the rest of our consumer lending portfolio uh, to go with all those digital experiences and channels and and whatnot. So uh, really kind of driving all things consumer technology and more of the enterprise uh, lens for all things digital at the bank. Um, And then lead some things around our our broader innovation strategy. Uh, We're we've been pretty public about building out our innovation tech center in Charlotte and building that, that amazing, amazing facility was a once in a lifetime opportunity and uh, work closely with other folks in our venture space. As you mentioned, I know you have a lot of startup listeners and fintechs and other types of technology companies that spend a lot of time with their ventures partners as well on investments and, and other opportunities. So I've uh, been busy since yeah. the merger for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and for those, um, those who kind of, you know, keep, uh, track of the uh, the financial services space, or you know, kind of follow it. Uh, Truist is the merger of of two um, you know very large banks on their own, both SunTrust and, and BB and T. Uh, Truist is now what sixth sixth largest bank uh, United States. Is that right? Give That's right. We're six six right now, give or take. It, it kind of shifts a little bit with the, the the busy sector, but yeah, but yeah, we're uh, we're we're large and and definitely at scale these days. Yeah. So uh, you know. I think the scope of what you do is is incredibly impressive. Um, you know, there's some aspects that I'd really love to dig into because I think, um, you know, 
like I said, our, our audience is, is, again, always sort of going, look, I, you know, I work in this industry. We've got some regulated things we have to do. We've got some, uh, you know, we're going through this challenge of like we had central IT, as like you mentioned, is a shared service. But then you've got lines of business that are really trying to in- innovate and differentiate themselves. I'm curious, you know, when the when the merger happened and the merger, uh, you know, about two years ago, uh, roughly, like you've lived on both the technology side and the business side. Like, how did you think about the business challenges that you were trying to solve and then uh, start applying the technology to it? What was the kind of the thought process of, of bringing these two things together? Uh, you know, what do you keep? What do you innovate around? You know, at a high level, how did you how did you think through that process? Yeah, well, I think at first, the, the initial reaction was our clients deserve a better banking experience. Um, if you think about to your point around, you know, regulatory and, and everything that you have to do to kind of keep things moving in the direction for the bank, uh, you, know, you tend to realize that scale really does matter. And so the ability to put these companies together and really focus on the client experience and really making the clients kind of really be at the center of what we do and how we do it um, was something that we really wanted to tackle right from the very beginning. Um, you know, we, we wanted to make sure that we were not only creating experiences that were dependable and reliable, but experiences that actually are what the people want to interact with on a daily basis. Right. Um, you know, th- that's something that I don't know that the banking industry as a whole has always been known for. Um, you know, a lot of products and services have been around for a long time, but how you present yourself to those clients and meeting them when and where and how they want um, is something that we have to get better at as an industry. And we just felt like, you know, we needed to look at those different you know areas or ecosystems, the way we set them up and really think about what do our clients deserve? How do we get there from point A to point B? Uh, and to your point earlier, you know, how do you do it measured and in a way that that really allows us to, to, to move forward without necessarily having to rewire the entire bank uh, from ground up in a greenfield approach, because that's just something that's not exactly easy to do when you think about big banks coming together. Yeah. Um, so that, that was a big piece of it. I think the other thing, honestly, Brian, is that this is, this is the very first, if you really go back, this is the first big bank merger in our industry during the digital age. Yeah. Um, And, you know, you think about big bank mergers for those of you in the past, you think about big core migrations and big conversions of data from one, you know, main platform to the other. And we really wanted to think about, you know, how do we start to introduce our clients to the, the truest that we want to introduce them to from a digital perspective, uh, and really get out in front of those big core conversions. So, you know, we we established an architecture and a and really a an overall strategy related to what we refer to as our digital straddle, which has allowed us to actually deploy a new digital experience for both heritage companies' clients uh, prior to those conversions. And so, you're not waiting essentially two plus years to to start to see new experiences, uh, you know, before all those conversions were actually completed. Um, yeah. So it's been a unique, uh, a unique set of activities just in the pure merger sense, but the digital aspect of it certainly adds complexity to the, to the, to the puzzle. Right. Yeah. No, I, I mean, you, you hit on a lot of 
really important pieces there. I, I it hadn't dawned on me, but you're right. It's probably been about a decade since uh, you know the last sort of big set of mergers. Uh, you know, the the technology's changed radically in the last ten years. Mobile's so important. So many other things. I mean, I you know I just think about myself from a day to day perspective, like. I don't send checks on you anymore. I use my phone. My bank is my bank is wherever I want my bank to be. But then the services that come with it, and it and and banking is so interesting because it's not it's not retail. It's not a one time experience, or it's not uh, you know uh, you know totally based on location anymore. It's potentially a lifetime experience, and you sort of have to help people from you know their first checking account to you know the first time they get a car loan or an auto loan to you know saving for retirement i mean there's there's such a wide spectrum there that if you're thinking about it from a digital perspective it's got to be just a fascinating set of you know like you said what do we want to keep doing well but also what does the next 5 years look like what is the next 10 years there's so much competition from you know startups and other things in that space it's got to be a fascinating kind of whiteboard somewhere that's uh, that's got all these ideas on it well, and the fun part about it, though, as you mentioned, you, know, you can really show up and impact your clients' lives on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, the, the ability to create something uh, in this day and age using technology and deploy it and know that you've got a tangible impact on somebody's life is a rewarding thing. And, you know, our teammates, just like everybody else during COVID and, and all of this, I mean, you throw a merger on top of, of the way the world has changed and how we work differently. Um, the ability to tangibly impact teammates and, and people's lives and our clients' lives with deploying new experiences and new capabilities and technology is the thing that really fuels kind of our team to want to continue to, to grind it out and get through some of these big conversions. Yeah. Um, I was going to, I was going to ask you, you know, how you rationalized, two technology stacks because you know the, the thing about banking these days is it could go all the way back to mainframe but it's going to touch mobile these days it's potentially going to touch uh you know all sorts of stuff but I, i'm sort of interested you mentioned that you had this concept of a digital straddle which to me sounds like you know the the challenge that everybody goes through of how do you how do you rationalize new and old and and how much do you kind of bring forward versus starting new can you talk a little more about kind of how you thought through that digital straddle and, and some of the, the things that you're able to do to, you know, make that two-year process, you know, not waiting two years, but you could do things right away? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that we did early on was develop what we refer to as ecosystems. Um, I'm sure everybody did use that term in one way or, or the other, but we really wanted to create kind of these common areas. So whether it be um, you know, deposits or payments or mortgage, or in this case, you know, the one example, digital experiences, we wanted to create an ecosystem and really look at both companies' heritage technology stacks and platforms. Mm -hmm. um, but we could have easily said, you know, we, we talked very publicly about picking the best of breed. Well, in some cases, that might not have been picking what we had before at either company. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we had to go through and make some really, you know, informed and smart decisions around, hey, we really know where we want to go, but you, you can't do everything at once. Sure. And you got to pick and choose your spots when it comes to modernizing your, your stack and your architecture. Uh, and, you know, in some cases, like our consumer portfolio, you know, we picked uh, areas like core, some of our core banking technology was from Heritage BB&T. Some of our front-end teller experience was from Heritage SunTrust. 
Um, so we were, we were stitching together what we considered best of breed, but in some cases, you know, we had to have the courage to say, you know what, neither company is where we need to be from a digital perspective. Um, there were pros and cons to both tech stacks. Uh, and we said, you know, option A and option B right now is not good enough for where we want to take our clients. And we want to create a platform that will create agility for us as a company as well as agility for us to respond to our clients' needs. Um, and we needed to build new. And so, you know, we did leverage uh, modern technology and cloud computing and other capabilities um, to build essentially a, a brand new user experience set of API layer on top of what is, you know, essentially some of the the heritage uh, technology up until this past weekend when we just created, you know, finished one of our conversions, um, but we'll continue to to be able to to create more of a modular architecture and build new where we can and continue to to leverage, you know, a good solid API type architecture um, to allow us to integrate some of the areas that we haven't modernized yet. And I think the key word there is yet. Now, I'm curious if we can if we can peel back a little bit. Um, you know, how, how did you kind of think through that that structure? I mean, obviously, um, you know, there are uh, say like vendors and technologists that you work with that uh, know how to, to you know take the systems that you have and probably take them forward. Um, there's an opportunity to work with cloud providers that are you know kind of working in these new modern ways. How did you kind of rationalize? Um, you know, all these options that you had in front of you and then, you know, uh, make good decisions, prioritize things, figure out, you know, where you could accelerate learning curves. Like how, how did you sort of work through that? Cause you know, for a lot of people it's, you know, it's the, it's the great challenge of, I have so many good options in front of me, but like you said, I can't pick them all. I, I'm time bound in some things. How, how did you, yeah. you know, what, what sort of lessons did you learn through this process? Well, I, I think, um, what was good for us is that we hadn't been a stranger to some of the modernization before the merger. Mm-hmm. Um, so neither company really, you know, stated too much publicly about things, but I mean, at Heritage SunTrust, you know, we were, we were moving into, into more of the public cloud domain with partners like AWS and, and others um, in 2017, 2018. Okay. Uh, even before the merger. And so we had actually migrated some of our our existing uh, digital experiences to a cloud-based platform um, you know, prior to that actual announcement of the merger. And so you know, with that, though, comes a lot of education because you know, what you'll see is that you've got to get your, your teammates and your employees in a position where they feel really comfortable um, about the shift and you got to do a lot of education. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, and then not only on the technology side, right. You can train your, your, your existing teammates, you can rent and borrow from, you know, key providers and partners that are out there to make sure that you've, you know, created some of that, but we, we had to do a little bit of everything. Um, you know, we had to, to do a lot of training up front and learn as we went through our, you know, our, our path as, as SunTrust, when Truist was formed, we took from those learnings, we applied some of those learnings, we continued to train our teammates that we had that were interested in continuing to grow uh, in their skill set and add new tools to their toolbox and tool belt. Um, 
in addition to that, we had to educate our business partners and our risk partners and our compliance partners and everybody on what that really meant to modernize those stacks. Um, and that was, you know, that's a whole different set of skills that you need to be able to have to educate and make sure everybody knows you know, what you're doing and how you're doing it to actually reduce your residual risk by leveraging modern technology. So, you know, that was certainly um, something that was needed. But then also, you know, it's not just working with partners and vendors, but we added a lot of FTEs um, in this space in particular and really wanted to make sure that we were just we were out there and we were bringing in skill sets from outside and making sure that we were building a high performing team that could not only build something, but continue to operate it and run it um, in an agile way using agile methods. So it was, it was a multi-pronged strategy around how do you, how do you bring all these forces together? And the good news is, is when you've got something like a merger, it's really easy to get alignment on, right? Because everybody's focused on, hey, this is this is what success looks like, and this is what the outcome needs to be. So, let's figure out a way to all rally around it and and help each other. Right. Well, and I, and I think that's a that's a huge point. I I know so many companies that I get a chance to talk to, um, they go, well, we're you know we're going to implement this new thing because uh, you know somebody came back from a conference and we're going to be cloud first, or we're going to be API first. And I tell folks a lot of times, yeah, if, if you don't have some sort of forcing function, right, just having a top-down mantra gives people a lot of opportunities to go, eh, maybe that doesn't apply to me, or, well, we'll get around to it when we feel like it. But but like you said, you you not only had this this merger going on, which obviously was top of mind for everybody, but I'm, I'm sure you had some sort of finite timelines that, you know, fit into the plan. You had, you know, you had that top level goal of um, we want to create a better experience for customers. It's, it's almost like you, you need to have those things um, because if you, if you don't, it, it just becomes too easy for people to go, okay, you know, it's sort of like the way you were in school. Like you could, you could let it slide a little bit. You could, you could let it go. You, you had those forcing functions, which as complex as it was to get there, all the education you need, it's still that thing that you can always point back to for people and go, look, that's, you know, these are the things that we're living under. Yeah. I think having a common goal and an outcome that you're all driving towards certainly helps. I mean, I think um, a lot of companies have and continue to modernize and, and that's just kind of part of their DNA and how they work. But I mean, you're talking about a lot of, of technology and teammates that have been around for a long time that, you know, we're, we're having to look at, and I don't think it's appropriate to say anymore, especially in our industry that, you know, you need to be cloud first or API first. We, we kind of adopted this concept of fit for purpose. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that was also a rational, reasonable way to look at, you know, how do we modernize? How do we reduce the residual risk for the bank? But how do we do it in a way that makes sense? And, you know, not everything has to move tomorrow. Um, but when you think about the fit for purpose framework that we put in place, you know, if, uh, if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck, then it's probably a duck. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we should leverage the right capabilities and the right technology, um, you know, that, that it should be applied to those particular systems or those services or, or functions. So, um, we're trying to take a really pragmatic approach to it, but also be strategic about where, you know, where we do modernize and the sequence and the timing of how we do it. Yeah. I'm curious, you know, one of the things everybody 
always ask when you do transitions, um, you know, there, there's always learning curves. There's always schedules that you sort of make up front and sometimes are best case and worst case. How, how did you, you know, how have you been, I guess, since it's still an ongoing type of a, a process, you know, how do you, how do you measure progress? How do you measure success? How do you sort of deal with, you know, Hey, we, we didn't meet some goal, but you know, we're, we've got learning. How, how have you been, you know, just managing the evolution, uh, you know, and, and, you know, figuring out where you're doing well, where you need to rethink things. How, how has that gone along and, and any lessons learned from that? Well, I think, um, you know, if you think about the timing of when Truist was officially born, um, once we got through all of the regulatory process, you know, our legal day one was was really December of 2019. So we're coming up on two years. And then, you know, we had a great plan, Brian. I mean, we had a plan, a timeline. We knew exactly where we wanted to do things. <laughs> and then the world changed. Yeah. Right. So. You know, it's the old, uh, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the nose, right? Right, right. Um, and we got punched in the nose just like everybody else in the world um, with COVID and the pandemic and everything that followed. So, you know, I think the first thing that we learned is that you've got to be flexible and you've got to make sure um, that you can you can pivot when you need to. And so, you know, it was one day we show up and we're working on merger. The next day we were becoming a logistics company, making sure that we've got, you know, 50,000 plus teammates globally being able to connect to work every day. Right. right. Um, it, it changes. And I think that that's important that, that we learn how to do that as a leadership team and, and that we're there to support our teammates um, because that, that was that was definitely a learning curve. I think the other piece to this is that, you know, the day of you follow the M&A playbook and you go out there and you convert this system into that system and here's your waterfall approach and how you do it. I mean, those days have, are gone too, right? I mean, that, that's not how we would would suppose to, to put out there and think about doing big bang type conversions. Um, I think we've done a ton to really test and learn our way through this. So if you think about the fact that, you know, prior to this past weekend's uh, big conversion of Heritage BB&T systems into our truest ecosystem, um, we had already completed our investment banking uh, conversion. We had completed our, our, um, our wealth conversions for both trust and, trust and brokerage we had completed some of our mortgage origination conversion. So we split it up into a lot of different pieces and parts. And when it came to digital, you know, we deployed the first version of our truest online banking and mobile app in March to teammates. We expanded those pilots. We started bringing on non-teammate clients in June. We've continued to roll more and more clients in as we continue to deliver more and more feature functionality. Uh, and you know, as we sit here today, we've we've already moved and migrated over seven million clients, uh, and we're well on our way to finishing that migration here in the next couple of months. Um, and what that's really allowed us to do is truly test and learn our way through this, and make sure that you know we're listening to our clients, we're getting great feedback from them, um, we're going to continue to listen, and we're positioning ourselves as we complete these core these bigger conversions on the back end to try not to really, you know, impact our clients. Yeah. Um, and so far we've, we've learned a lot 
Um, but we also learn that our clients are really smart and they, they understand, they know what's going on, they get it. And if you communicate well to them and you, you actually you know, care about what they're doing and, and how they do it and you work with them, um, they're not only going to be great clients, but they're going to be the best form of feedback and the, and the best you know, requirements writers and user story writers in the future as well. Yeah. No, I, I, as I'm thinking about this, cause I've, I've lived through a lot of, a lot of, uh, M and A activities at, at various companies I've been at. And, you know, the more I think about it, you know, the headline is, is, you know, BB and T and SunTrust is, is the, the merger, the, the coming together. But, you know, the reality is I, I think you're probably really merging like, you know, 12 different units, whether, like you said, whether it's, you know, consumer or investment or core, I mean, that's, you've got that. And to do that, at a time when, you know, most of the time when, when acquisitions happen, you spend a lot of time flying back and forth, not only, you know, just getting to know the people, having dinner with them, figuring out personalities. You weren't able to do that. I mean, a lot of, I think I would guess in-person stuff didn't necessarily happen. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is a, uh, this is a success story, not just at one level, but, but sort of at, at multiple levels. Um, I'll ask you one last question. I want to wrap up because I want to be conscious of your time. Um, you know, internally, you know, how did you go about, you know, some of those communications? What were some of the, the lessons you learned in terms of, you know, communicating, you know, priorities to your management team, you know, how to, you know, sometimes you've got to be able to come up with some, some numbers that, you know, make, make people realize, Hey, we're on track or what we did is, is really impressive. Cause again, you've lived on both the technology side and the business side, but sometimes folks haven't, haven't been exposed to it. What were some of the, the communication techniques or tips and tricks you, you had to employ over the last couple of years to, to keep this thing moving and not have somebody freak out and want to, you know, make you start over or blow something up. Yeah. I think, you know, at, at the very top of it, the, the smartest thing our leadership team did, in my opinion, was quickly establish kind of purpose, mission and values. Um, because especially when you're in the middle of dealing with you know, a pandemic where you've got people remote and you, you, to your point earlier, you haven't, you haven't really had a chance to really get to know everybody. Um, you just started this journey and then all of a sudden you're taken on a detour. I think having that common purpose and in, in this case with ours, it's inspiring and building better lives and communities. That just gives you a, a foundation, right? Where people, people want to see that impact. And I think throughout all of this work with the merger and whatnot, we obviously have, you know, our set of KPIs that we're driving towards that we that we have on all sides, right? Not just technology and execution or, or merger execution type metrics. But also it's about keeping, you know, the business metrics and goals in in mind. And it's also about impacting our communities and our clients. And so when you look at at you know what we are presenting, whether it's for for earnings purposes or uh, internally to, to our clients, like being able to see, uh, you know, growth, right? We're up 11% in mobile app users year over year from 2020 to 2021. And from 2019, as you would expect to 2020, it was a significant increase, right? Because right. of, of the pandemic and whatnot. You know, we're up 58% year over year in Dell transactions. So despite the fact that we're in the middle of a merger, um, to be able to see the tangible business value, because at the end of the day, technology for technology's sake, I mean, that's, that's not the goal, right? I, I can put, I can build all kinds of really cool stuff, Brian, and nobody will care. 
Yeah. Right. Exactly. No, if, if our clients don't use it and see value, um, and if we can't create new value, then what are we really doing here? Uh, and so I think, you know, our teams have done a good job of making sure that we're grounded and we're not a, uh, we're not a team from a technology lens that are order takers, right? We're partners, we're thought leaders. Um, we work with our business partners and we have a common set of goals. Uh, and I think that common set of goals is super important. And whether it's to execute and finalize a merger on certain dates, as you mentioned earlier, or, you know, it's about driving, you know, a better client experience or, or offering, you know, a broader set of solutions for our clients to, to better their lives. Um, all of that stuff, as long as you keep it grounded in purpose, mission, values, and it's aligned, uh, you have that common thread that helps us you know, stay focused on, on the end mission. Yeah, no, that's, it's great stuff. I, I, uh, you know, for us, we, we get a chance, like, like I mentioned at the top to talk to a lot of different companies. We always love when we get a chance to, to not only talk to, you know, the folks that are, that are doing this and living with it, but, you know, to be able to highlight stuff going on here and here in our part of the world in the Southeast part of the United States is, uh, kind of a nice bonus as well. Ken, I want to thank you for the time. Um, it's great to be able to kind of dig into your story, not only, kind of the the raw outcome that you've got right now with the growth, but you know, kind of how you went through the process. That's that's always to us really, really interesting. And and the nice part was, you know, we didn't have to div- dive into the technology. Cause like you said, as a as a banking customer, I don't necessarily care, you know, how you deliver me the services as long as I get them, they're usable. Um, that stuff is is all super important. So I uh, want to thank you so much for your time. Want to thank you for for educating us and, and educating our audience. Um, you know, I know sometimes it's it's tricky uh, in financial services to to share a whole lot. If if people uh, you know wanted to pick your brain or you know places where your team is is out doing things, maybe a little bit out in the in the public domain. Are there are there ways to engage with with the truest technology teams or you know if if other executives wanted to pick your brain, are there ways to to get in touch with you? Uh, absolutely. Uh, always feel free to, to reach out. Um, you know, LinkedIn is always a good place in order to, to connect. Uh, you know, we do a lot with our corporate communications team. You'll see stuff out there from time to time. Uh, we love feedback. Uh, so feel free to, to reach out, rate our stuff, uh, become a client first and foremost. Sure. Uh, we, we would love to, to help you uh, build a better life for you and your families and, and your, uh, your businesses. So I would say, you know, become part of our truest family and, and we'll certainly uh, take all of the feedback into consideration. But we're also hiring, Brian. So uh, always looking for talent out, out there today. But um, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk with you. And, uh, you know, my pleasure to, to spend some time today and, and talk with your listeners. Good stuff. Um, folks, on behalf of Aaron and I, we want to thank Ken for his time today. We want to thank all of you for, for listening week in and week out, for telling a friend, helping us grow the show, and uh, for always giving us feedback in, in all the places that you, that you listen to your podcast. With that, I'm going to wrap it up, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 